Welcome to the Sega Lounge, a podcast dedicated to our love for all things Sega, be it the games, the music, or the community. I'm KC. In each episode, I'll be talking to different guests and sharing their projects and their passion for Sega. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Sega Lounge. I hope you've had a good week and are ready for another episode of the show. Before we dive into things, I'd like to remind you that you can and should suggest guests for future episodes of the show. Have a specific Sega-related dev or musician you'd like to get to know better? Or maybe you know someone in the fan community who deserves more recognition because of their amazing work. Feel free to use our social media accounts to send me some suggestions or email podcast at thesegalounge.com. Even if you don't have any guest suggestions, I'm also open to topics you'd like to see discussed in a future roundtable-style episode. And now, time for this week's Retrospective. Ah, 2020. What a year. In more ways than one, a terrible year. Thankfully, we can always count on video games to offer some kind of escapism and therapy through troubled times. And boy, did we all need that last year. Last week, we looked at what I would like to think of as my way to bring some smiles and comfort into your life by way of this podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by some friends, 17 to be exact, from the Sega community as we look back at some of the most memorable Sega moments of 2020. Let me introduce you to our guests. All of them have been on the show before. We've got YouTuber and streamer Genesis7, our friends Dan and James, aka the Sega Guys, James Brown and Matt Oliver from the Shenmue Dojo, Riku Rose, owner of the Tojo Dojo, Rafseek, show host at Radio Sega, radio personality Tom Campbell, Graham Cookson from Megavisions, the amazing Danny Russell from Sega, Lewis Clark, aka Sonic Yoda from SegaDriven.com, Sean Tag, co-host of the Arcade Perfect podcast and massive Outrun fan, Brian from the Saturn Junkyard, Andrew Dickinson from Dreamcast Years, Andrew the British Andy Wilson, variety streamer, podcaster Ryan Grove, and Segabits' own Patrick Korimaru Gardner. I've sent these lovely people some questions and they were kind enough to record their answers for your listening pleasure. I will also answer the same questions, but you know, since I'm the host and editor of this podcast, I'll probably cheat at times. May this serve as a historical record of a year where the light of Sega shone through the dark clouds of lockdowns and social distancing. First up, I asked my dear guests about Sega games in 2020. The company had quite a prolific year in terms of games released, and many of them were absolute gems. A couple of them were not even developed or published by Sega themselves, but licensed to third parties who took the matter of breathing new life into old IPs into their own hands. To name but a few, Persona 5 Royal, Streets of Rage 4, Panzer Dragoon Remake, The New Sakura Wars, Yakuza Like a Dragon, 13 Sentinels, and even the Yakuza Remastered Collection were all great titles that Sega presented us with last year. So I asked our friends to pick their Sega game of 2020 and to throw in an elevator pitch to convince you to play the game. 
Here's what they had to say about it. For quite a few of our guests, Ichiban Kasuka's adventure in Yokohama, Yakuza Like a Dragon, takes the Sega cake this year. Our friend Brian Vines from the Saturn and Dreamcast junkyards loved the fact that RGG Studio managed to retain the charm of the series while changing the battle system and core gameplay of the game. There are a lot of things I like a lot about Like a Dragon, um, and I think it works primarily because it does continue to exhibit the, the fundamental charm of the series. Um, despite all of the changes uh, that it's gone through. I mean, in particular, there's the new location, um, Yokosuka, or Jesus, I've been playing too much Shenmue, uh, Yokohama. And um, and I really feel I like that space because it's, it's, it's a little more spread out. It still has the density, but it's not as dense as, as Kamurocho was. But it's unfamiliar, and, and I kind of liked that feeling of being a, a stranger in a new place. I also think the the new cast of characters is endearing in their own right, um, especially our boy Ichiban Kasuga, um, the the new protagonist, and I think he's he's just a lovable and excitable dude with a heart of gold. I also thought it was really clever how they um, took one of Ichiban's most quirky character traits which is his obsession with dragon quest um and 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 just use that as a framing device for um for both the combat which is now um, turn-based jrpg uh style fighting compared to the brawler action style from before um and also just the way he perceives events and things like uh, magic and dungeons and and how it incorporates those into the game in ways that i just find really interesting yeah i just love almost everything about this game um the narrative the core narrative uh, is so much fun um it's just as cheesy and hokey and over the top and melodramatic as is yakuza storylines have always been um, and I love it and I also love all the things you can do when you take a break from it there are the uh, sub quests of course and in true series form um, they're very involved they introduce you to uh, incredibly charming characters and with their own memorable situations that uh, just are a lot of fun to get wrapped up in for sure and beyond that, I sank an unreasonable amount of time into all of the different side activities. Um, there's cart racing, which, eh, that one's okay. Um, but there's competitive can collecting. There's card games and, uh, like, uh, yeah, just gambling stuff. There's a vocational school or community college, which, uh, gameplay-wise, is effectively uh, just pub trivia, which I guess that just makes it like regular community college. And... Probably my favorite thing of all was this property management mini game, and you know, I shouldn't even call it a mini game. I put like eight hours into this thing, but it's a business sim, and you have to hire uh, employees and train them and keep their morale high, and you have to buy property and upgrade the property, um, and you utilize all these mechanics together to try to maximize your your revenue or your profit from um, your portfolio properties. And at the end of each period, you have a shareholders meeting, which is basically like a little, I don't know, rock, paper, scissors, boss battle thing between your board of directors and um, disgruntled shareholders. And uh, at one time, I think my board of directors consisted of a chicken, a luchador, and um, a rumba. 
So it's probably good that I don't run a publicly traded company in real life. So yeah, uh, I love Yakuza Like a Dragon. Can't say enough things about it. Uh, it's great. Another Like a Dragon fan is YouTuber Genesis7. Experiencing the game last year had a more special meaning for him since he had recently played through and loved the entire Kiryu saga and now had the chance to enjoy the same world but as a turn-based RPG. The reason behind this is because I had recently got into the Yakuza franchise a couple of years ago. I finally tried out Yakuza 0, absolutely loved it, the serious tone of the story, and then going to the complete opposite end of the spectrum with the side quests and all of the funny stuff in between, I fell in love. All of the mini games you could play, all of the little things here and there, I fell in love with this franchise. I continued my journey with Kiwami 1 and 2, going to the remasters 3 through to 5, and then finishing it off with the Song of Life, Yakuza 6. And I platinumed that game, enjoying it that much. So then we get to Yakuza Like a Dragon, and it completely flipped the formula to a turn-based JRPG. And for those that might not know, I am a huge JRPG fan, so you take a franchise that I have lived through and thoroughly enjoyed, and then throw in my favourite game genre, mash them together, there is no way I'm not going to enjoy this. And I remember the first time playing through this, I absolutely loved it. It had that Yakuza story, that Yakuza charm. It even had, for the first time since the original back on the PlayStation 2, English voiceovers and I thoroughly enjoyed this experience, and that's why it's my most favorite game of 2020 from Sega. Just like me, Graham Cookson of Megavisions doesn't generally enjoy turn-based RPGs, but Like a Dragon was a thoroughly enjoyable experience for him. I really enjoy the Yakuza games, and to be honest, I'm more of an Xbox gamer, so when Yakuza Like a Dragon came out on Xbox, I had to snap it up. The thing is, I generally don't enjoy turn-based fighting games, and I have to admit I was worried when I heard that Like a Dragon was moving away from the series' brawler origins. However, Yakuza Like a Dragon was able to make the battles so much fun, and I've been loving the fights so much. It's probably one of the best turn-based fighting games I've played in, well, in years, I can't really remember. And the story is great, just like all the other Yakuza games, but I love the main character, Ichiban. His character is so different from Kiryu, the other series' protagonist, He's so optimistic and childlike in his approach to life that's so lovable. And he's just unlike any other Yakuza. And his loyalty makes him incredibly endearing. The game is so much fun. There's so many funny jokes in it. It's, it's just brilliant. It's, I love it. So yeah, check it out if you haven't. Despite some issues with the writing, webmaster and lead writer for SegaDriven.com, Lewis Clark, seems to share the love for Yakuza Like a Dragon. Interesting first attempt at doing a Yakuza RPG, I think. Um, it hits it quite well uh, in places and not so well in others. Um, I think the story is a little bit problematic in places and some of the characterization of homeless people, yeah, in particular, quite problematic. Um, but on the whole, I think it is an impressive first attempt at introducing a new set of characters to the Yakuza franchise and putting them in a, um, yeah, in, in a, in a scenario that wasn't particularly uh, familiar to the Yakuza franchise and doing it quite well. So it was an impressive first try. I think uh, it's a good basis for the series going forward, and I'd like to see where it goes from there. No surprise here, but Riku Rose, owner of the Tojo Dojo, 
picked Yakuza Like a Dragon as his favorite Sega game of 2020. And he's got some advice for you if you haven't checked out the Yakuza series yet. It was, it was really, really fun to experience a Yakuza game in a very different style to what we're used to. I admit I was starting to get a bit burned out on the Yakuza brawler gameplay and everything being very, very similar from game to game. So when I saw that it was moving to the JRPG mechanics, I was really, really excited. JRPGs are my favourite genre, so I was probably more excited than most, and I can admit that, but it kind of got me a lot more interested in the series, which I'd sort of been wavering on for a while. The silliness of it was also able to go to new heights just based on the style of gameplay and the new main character as well, which was a complete departure from what we were used to with Kiryu for 15 years. I mean... I would suggest everyone checks it out, but my advice is more just to check out the Yakuza series if you haven't. I find it hard to believe you're listening to a Sega podcast and you haven't checked out Yakuza at this point. But you can find Yakuza 0 for about $5 anywhere now. Any PlayStation, Xbox, Steam, it's available anywhere Yakuza Like a Dragon is. So if you have the ability to play Yakuza Like a Dragon, you have the ability to go back to the beginning and see the series from the very beginning. But it wasn't just Yakuza Like a Dragon that won over the hearts of our guests. Patrick Korimaru Gardner, writer for Segabits, Twitch streamer and YouTuber, picked a double pack of Like a Dragon and the new Sakura Wars game. Both games are story-driven with plenty of action and dramatic characterization. Not to mention that both games features fun and unique gameplays. Dreamcast users own Andrew Dickinson had what was by far the most original answer. He highlighted one of those games I've been meaning to play, but for some reason haven't gotten around to play. Two Point Hospital on the Switch. It is a great game. Uh, it, it brings back all those memories that you had playing the old Bullfrog games, like Theme Hospital, of course, uh, and it makes it's modern so although it is basically theme hospital it is a much more modern version of that it feels great it's great to play and of course it's been out for a while on pc but 2020 is the year that it got ported to console and this is when i first played it i played it on the switch uh, which is a great way to play it because in handheld mode you've got that uh, freedom to use touch controls and it's just it plays really well with controllers anyway so just being able to take it anywhere with you is a great thing for sure. So I really enjoyed it because of the nostalgia it gave me, the comedy, the music is great, and just that management sim goodness that I didn't realise I'd been missing. Uh, So thank you, Sega, for that, for sure. On the subject of less mainstream Sega games, but hugely popular ones nonetheless, as a massive fan of the sports interactive franchise, Radio Sega's own Rafsig picked... Football Manager 2021 as his personal favorite. I have played uh, every single Football Manager game, or at least nearly every single one of them, for hundreds of hours at least, thousands of hours at most. So it, it, it is a series that is very close to my heart. The foundation that Sports Interactive has been building as the absolute untouchable masterclass when it comes to football micromanagement or soccer if you, if you are from the, um, the United States it has been honed to near perfection for the last 25 years and um, 
the additions that they made for uh, FM21 are actually pretty interesting and uh, it shows that they are committed to improving it the best they can. There are a few features that are massive improvements over 20. There's the question, uh, why should everyone check it out? Uh, you know, that is a tough one because it's hard for me or to, uh, for anyone else really to justify telling people who are not football fans to try this out because this is definitely a must-play for, for football fans, but if it's not your cup of tea, then you are probably going to be wasting your time a little. Although, who knows, it might even go the other way. It could get you, you interested in football. The familiar feeling of Shenmue 3 did it for Texta, co-host of the Arcade Perfect podcast. Shenmue series is something I've always loved. And uh, I stuck through with Shenmue 3 all the way to the end. Um, kind of got hooked on it and uh, really enjoyed it. And it was nice to come back to something uh, that we hadn't seen for so long. If you love the Dreamcast versions, I think you'll really like the uh, that you'll like Shenmue 3. Uh, I finished all of the Shenmue series and Shenmue 3 was the first one that I finished in English. Uh, the other two are completed in Japanese, and I don't know Japanese, so uh, that's commitment for you. Ryan Grove is a huge Sega fan and a previous panelist on the show when we used to have the Memories series of episodes back in the day. He is the co-host of the Blockade Runner, a Star Wars podcast. A big fan of Fantasy Star, Ryan thoroughly enjoyed his time with Fantasy Star Online 2 last year. The original PSO is one of my favorite games of all time, and at its best, PSO 2 captures a lot of what made that game so special to me. I put over 150 hours into PSO 2 in 2020, and I can't wait for New Genesis later this year. Andrew Wilson, aka The British Andy, is a variety streamer that is now streaming not only on Twitch, but also on YouTube with some more platforms to come during this year. His time with Panzer Dragoon Remake was very similar to mine. It was his proper first experience with the game of the series, and he really enjoyed it. I've never played Panzer Dragoon at all in my life. Um, you know, it's something that I've been very interested in wanting to try. Um, I do have a copy of uh, Panzer Dragoon... Uh, where is it? Panzer Dragoon ORTA um, on the Xbox. I have that, but I've yet to play that uh, also. But, you know, I really wanted to play the original on the Sega Saturn. Um, but actually, I didn't know about uh, the remake until um, um, a friend uh, of mine who was able to pick a game for me for my live stream said, I want you to play Panzer Dragoon Remake. I'm like, wait, that's a, that's a thing? Panzer Dragoon's been remade? And they were like, yeah, and showed me the trailer. I was like, oh my goodness. So immediately downloaded it on my Switch. And it just felt nice. Like, you know, like it's with, with you know, the typical arcade shooter, like, you know, how it would feel like back in the day on the, on the Sega Saturn um, with games like that style um, on, on the retro consoles back in the 90s. Like, you know, it had the feel of, like, Star Fox 64 slash Lila Wars, um, which, you know, when, when I felt first played, it was like, oh, this feels, like, you know, similar to this. And, you know, pretty much got the controls 
um, you know, down to a T very quickly. Very entertaining game to play. Lots of stuff to go around. Um, and, you know, the soundtrack is just mm, tremendously good. Um, yeah, no, Panzer Dragoon Remake. It was a game that I really wanted to play the original one um, on the Sega Saturn. Um, maybe one day I'll be able to get it and give it a try at some point. But to be able to play the remake is great. And it's really well made, very enjoyable. And if, uh, if anyone's uh, contemplating whether or not they want to get it or not, I'd say give it a go, give it a try. It's out on the Switch. You can also get it on Steam. I'm not too sure if it's on any other platforms or not. Um, I think it's on like Xbox uh, or stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, Windows, Google Stadia and PlayStation 4. So it's out on, you know, most of the major platforms. So definitely without, without a doubt, 100%, give it a try and see how you feel with it. Because so good, so good. Along with Yakuza Like a Dragon, another widely popular Sega game was one that wasn't even developed or published by the company, but instead licensed to and revived by .mu, Lizard Cube, and Guard Crush games. The amazing Streets of Rage 4. That is exactly what Dan of the Magnificent Sega guys went with. As for James, he picked a different Yakuza game, Zero, which is eligible because it came out on Xbox One last year. It was a fantastic game. You know, it just embodied everything that was amazing about about the series. Brought it bang up to date and with a, with a new lick of paint. Um, but if we're talking about games developed and published by Sega, then for me, it's got to be Yakuza 0. Just absolutely phenomenal game. My first Yakuza game. Not new in 2020. I have to admit, again, that's enough reason why this one might not be valid. But... Um, it came to Xbox and PC in 2020, so that's why I'm including it here. Um, so either of those for me, they're probably both joint. But how about yourself, James? Yeah, Yakuza Zero <laughs> was 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 a was great fun. Um, enjoying the kind of free format, you know, fighting mechanics on there, the different fight styles, you know, brawler and all that kind of thing. Um, picking up bikes and tables and battling lumps of people with them. So um, no, it's, it's good fun game. Um, good storyline, different ways to kind of approach it obviously because there's that many games in the series and now they've all came to Game Pass so we can finally enjoy the full saga Yeah, same I can't well, I can't wait to play through them all so I've got a massive backlog of Yakuza games to get through now, so my work's cut out for me much the same as it's going to be for you <laughs> <laughs> Danny Russell, Sega of America's community manager for Retro IPs and the face behind Sega Forever also picked Streets of Rage 4 and highlighted the fact that it's a love letter to the feel of the gameplay and music of the series. He also very much loved all the easter eggs. And he didn't say this, but I'm guessing getting your name in the credits of a Streets of Rage game felt pretty special, eh Danny? I think it is my favourite in the series, in the Streets of Rage series, because it just, it combines, I mean for one thing you can unlock almost every character from the series. Uh, but it's a real love letter to just the feel, like the gameplay from the from the series. Uh, the music, you know, you've got uh, Yuzo Koshiro tracks in there, Motohiro Kawashima, uh, and uh, o o Olivia uh, de I'm not sure I can pronounce his name properly off the top of my head. Um, but like his soundtrack, like the, the guy who's made most of the soundtrack, um, it's uh, such an homage to the original uh, series and it just sounds so good. 
like that's what is it apex train or whatever it's called it's like towards the end of that track it's it's amazing you've got to check it out on spotify or wherever else uh if you can and you know buy it buy it on digital or, or physical if you can uh anyway I, i'm getting besides the point the game's just so fun to play uh especially in co-op i mean i've played it a bunch in single player but i've played it on switch on pc uh on playstation and uh, Xbox with with friends, uh, you know, I just keep replaying it through and through and through, uh, and I don't get bored. And I'm not that great at games. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm hammering buttons a lot. I'm not really doing combos very well, all that kind of stuff. But it's still just a joy to play, um, regardless of who I'm, I'm playing as. Um, you got the extra things in there in terms of the unlockables and so on that just keep you going away to try and unlock all of the all of the um, uh, retro characters. You've got the alternate soundtrack in there. You've got l l some nice little nods in terms of all the different um, health items. You can go vegan if you want and have only vegan uh, items in there, uh, even though I go for the meat. Um, but it's just, you can see the amount of love that's been poured on onto that. It's uh, If you had never played a Streets of Rage game before, it's still the one that I would recommend the most. Uh, so many Easter eggs in there. It's, you know, like the, it's the Sonic mania of uh, Streets of Rage. 2020 was a big year for James Brown, co-owner of Shenmue Dojo. He became a father and took on several projects which didn't leave him much time for gaming. However, one particular Sega game made it into his house and heart. With, you know, a bigger gap between releases than Shenmue, <laughs> think of that. Streets of Rage comes flying back to our screens and does so in style with a gorgeous new art style that retains the charm of the originals. It's a true fateful recreation that also brings a fantastic new soundtrack that again, you know, fits perfectly in the Streets of Rage world. Although Axel's clearly put on a few pounds over the years, I'm sure it's all muscle of course, out on the streets he's still busting skulls and I mean, it just feels so good. Lizardcube.mu, God Crush, they, they did a great job and it's a game that I highly recommend everyone check out if they haven't done so already. James's partner in Shenmue Dojo Crime, Matt Oliver, also went with Streets of Rage 4. Quite simply why I enjoyed it so much was it was a retro revival done right. It stuck to its roots but introduced it to the modern platforms with a massive visual overhaul, new music, new moves, and an all-round excellent, awesome experience. I would recommend Streets of Rage 4 to anybody who hasn't picked it up so far. Judging by his love for old Sega games, it comes as no surprise that Tom Campbell, radio presenter and the mind and voice behind the podcast A History of Sonic the Hedgehog, also chose Streets of Rage 4 as his Sega game of 2020. Sega are always really good at doing this thing where they they take a classic game and they give it a little bit of a sheen and offer it to us once more. They did this with the Sonic games for a long, long time. And they do this with Streets of Rage 4 beautifully. If you want a, a game you can pick up and play, gives you a couple of the nostalgia feels, I'd highly recommend you try that one out. Well, what about my Sega game of 2020? Streets of Rage 4 was a big part of my life ever since it came out in April. I was able to get early access to it thanks to .amu and review it for the podcast. I interviewed two key members of the dev team and I've played the game on Switch and Xbox One X many times. 
So when I sat down to think of my answer to this question, I was sure it would be Streets of Rage 4. But then it dawned on me. There was another game that consumed tens of hours of my time in 2020. When I also reviewed upon spending so much time with it, I still have several of its battle themes stuck in my head. It's not a pick-up-and-play affair like Streets of Rage 4, but a game you have to properly sit down in front of the TV and take your time with. Had you told me before this game came out I would have been considering a turn-based RPG as my game of the year, I would have laughed in your face, and I probably would have slapped you. But here we are, and by the smallest of margins, my Sega game of 2020 is indeed Yakuza Like a Dragon. For my reasons, check out my review of the game which is available as a bonus episode of this show. The second question I asked my wonderful panel of guests was a bit more retro in nature. Not everyone has to keep up with the latest Sega releases, and those who do may also find joy in revisiting or discovering older games. So what Sega games not released in 2020 brought smiles and that warm, fuzzy feeling to us all? For Danny Russell, it was the original Panzer Dragoon. So with uh, Panzer Dragoon Remake coming out, uh, it made me want to go back and, and check out the original Panzer Dragoon. I hadn't played the original Ozvai. Uh, before I'd only played Saga and I'd heard people say like one of my favorite Sega games is Res and I'd heard people say that it was kind of like a Panzer Dragoon clone um, and I, I never really got it before but like through playing the uh, Panzer Dragoon remake and especially with the, the patch that made it like a little bit easier for me because I, I am terrible at games uh, it made me want to go back and play the original on the Saturn uh, which I think you can still pick up for a fairly reasonable price uh, and it's just like the soundtrack on that and, and just the the scope, uh, you know, it's really incredibly impressive for the, the time that it came out. What was that, like 95, something like that? It's, it's still a joy to play. Whether you're playing the remake or the original, I, I recommend both of them thoroughly. Massive JRPG fan Genesis 7 finally played through the first Fantasy Star. Now, I've had it on my Nintendo Switch just lying there for a long time and I've always wanted to get into the original Fantasy Star games because I am a JRPG fanatic. So I finally gave in and had a right crack at Fantasy Star on the Nintendo Switch. This is a fantastic port and kind of really made me appreciate the quality of this game. I feel like I probably would have got frustrated if I played it back in the day without all these quality of life improvements, but the experience I had on the Nintendo Switch was above and beyond what I expected. Graham Cookson went with Bulk Slash, a Japanese-exclusive Sega Saturn game. If you haven't heard of it, it's a Japan-only mech game where you control a mech that can also transform into a fighter jet, which is awesome. And each level is an open 3D environment where you have to go around and destroy set targets. One of the things I love about it is the scale of everything. Most of the levels at the start are big cities, and you can see your mech is the size of a house and much bigger than some of the small tank-like enemies but then some of the other enemies you fight are easily two or three times bigger than you, making you feel really small. And around you, you've got massive skyscrapers. But then, at the end of each level, you face a boss, which is usually bigger than a skyscraper and completely dwarfs everything around it. It's really cool to see. Plus, the game looks gorgeous for its time. It uses bright colours and animations, making you feel like you're in an anime. And there's this really good juxtaposition between the 3D polygons used to create the levels and enemies, but the 2D sprites used to create your mech. It looks fantastic and works really well. Plus, the gameplay is 
brilliant. It's so easy to play and so much fun. If you get a chance, check it out. For James Brown, it was the Elasti series, which he discovered thanks to the special edition Elasti Game Gear Micro. I found this by noticing uh, there was an additional Game Gear Micro to the previously released four that we, we could order from Japan, and this particular one was white. Looking into this a little bit more, I discovered a collection of games that was also available on the PS4 and Switch, and obviously while this collection was released in 2020, the games themselves are actually from the late 80s, early 90s, with three of the titles being Game Gear games and the other two Master Systems on the, the LS collection. As a big shoot 'em up fan, uh, I was really excited to, to give this collection a go and, and came away thoroughly enjoying the series. If you love vertical shooters, you know, you, you should check it out. Uh, I believe it's also known as Power Strike over here. And one game title which you might be more familiar with is Musha, which I think was originally going to be LS2. Obviously, that was on the, the Mega Drive. Matt Oliver thoroughly enjoyed Daytona USA and its classic arcade experience. I picked it up on the PlayStation 3 for about two or three pounds. And it took me back to that old school Sega arcade racing experience. Fantastic racer that holds up today in terms of the mechanics, in terms of the handling for me. And if it's if you can still pick it up on the PlayStation Three or, or Xbox now, do grab it. It's cheap and it's absolutely worth every penny. Tom Campbell called Nights into Dreams a beautiful trip. Initially, it's a bit of a head scratcher. Don't quite know what's going on when you first start playing it. But once you get your head around the lore, and once you get your head around the gameplay and what they want from you, it's a beautiful trip. It's a beautiful trip. It's on PlayStation now. If you're a PS4 owner, you can you can play it immediately. There's a classic version and a Dreamcast version. Play the classic version. Makes the screen a bit smaller, but it's just nice and charming, isn't it? For Texta, it had to be 1989 motorbike game Racing Hero, which he played on his, get this, Outrun arcade machine. Brilliant. So Racing Hero was a Sega motorbike game that came out in 1989. And um, it's a real feel-good game. Um, I found it really through my arcade machine. I um, I had somebody put a load of Sega racing games on my Outrun arcade machine for me, and uh, Racing Hero was one of those games. So I've been getting into that and playing it with analog controls, and um, it's a real feel-good game. Sunshine, blue skies, really nice music to it, and. Um, the game splits up uh, like Outrun into five different goals. So you can, uh, there's quite a bit of longevity there and you can see all different scenery through Paris. Um, I think there's China, US. There's, it's kind of a, a world map. So it's got really pretty graphics and uh, it's all what Sega's all about really in, 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 the, 90, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, so go and check that one out. Riku Rose played Sonic Mania for the first time last year. As a fan of 2D Sonic games, he was in for a pleasant surprise. It was amazing. I am a huge 2D Sonic fan. Sonic 2 is probably one of my earliest memories playing a game. And it was just fun to go back into that version of Sonic and experience it 
again, as if I was a kid sitting there playing my Mega Drive when I was six years old. It was really unique, and I really hope that Sega realizes they've got something special there and decides to carry on doing that style of Sonic. And they, they can also still do their more modern take as well and just have this be like a little side thing. Uh, you can have your cake and eat it too in this case. Streaming on Radio Sega's Twitch channel in 2020, led Raf seek to look for a game that he could do a blind run of on stream. He went with Saturn RPG Dragon Force, and he was not disappointed. It is probably not the, um, the answer you expected, but yeah, I, I started playing it when I wanted to play something completely blind, like it would really, really be my first time ever playing it for the uh, Radio Sega Twitch channel. The, I have got to say that the game did not just exceed my expectations, expectations that had been built up over uh, 25 years. It blew them apart. The game is something that ages like wine. Everything is polished to perfection. The map, the factions, uh, the strategy involved, and even the PR bits that, that you also have to fulfill in the game. Uh, yeah. It is a must-play if you like strategy both in uh, conquering a continent and uh, deciding the, the best strategy for a specific battle. Also, the famed Saturn 2D sprites are at their very best with plenty of effects, over 200 uh, characters in the same map, all of it with gorgeous pixel art and brilliant music that is always fitting the situation. This was not a first-party Sega game, but I hope from the bottom of my heart that this gets ported, that there is any chance whatsoever that this game uh, gets ported to the current systems so that younger people can, can just enjoy it. What about the Sega guys? Dan the Mega Driver discovered the Nintendo 3DS version of Sonic Generations last year. As for James... Well, that's not exactly a game, is it? I've been a long-time fan of Sonic Generations, absolutely adore that game, uh, but never been able to play the 3DS version until I managed to pick it up quite cheap this year. Uh, but uh, it, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. It seemed to be a, a sort of a halfway house between the full-fat Sonic Generations experience that you got on Xbox 360 and PS3, but also with the sort of Sonic Rush-style gameplay that worked so well as well. So I thought it was fantastic loads of nostalgia playing it loved all the classic levels uh just a real joy joy to play through well i'm going to cheat on this one because uh, i'm going to go for a system uh, and it is of course thanks to your good self sending me the the console that i wanted when i was a kid and i was forced to play the commodore amiga uh, i'm going for the sega mega drive Oh, outstanding, mate! I'm I'm just so glad that I was able to uh, to get that over to you and uh, give you some mega get you some Mega Drive love for you. So, how, how you been finding it? Well, getting the the other drivers just completely opened it up, mate. You know, it's I've got, I've got pretty much everything on there from Master System and Mega Drive. So, yeah, it's like kid in a candy shop just came through and all those games that you remember seeing and hearing about your pals playing. Obviously, you know, we've, we've all played Sonic One, Two, and Three down the years and various formats and whatnot, but to actually sit down and play um, the original Sonic games on the original hardware was something of a a novelty, you know, all of the, the Sonic games, because I, I did briefly pick up a, 
a second hand Mega Drive back in the day, um, long after I'd got the Saturn, but um, I never really kind of committed to it. Um, and it kind of disappeared. I don't know if I, if I sold it or traded it in or something, but um, I never ever got one in its heyday. So to actually, you know, you know, place eyes on it again and you know get the EverDrive and have access to that full library and just go through and literally you know picking whatever you want you know you, you go on twitter and you see different people mentioning this game and that game and you can go on there and try it out and uh brilliant so yeah it's uh great to to have it in the in the collection uh, and able to access it and the full library at will yeah <laughs> mate it's going to bring you very uh, many many years of entertainment i would hope i forgive you james i'm really happy for you a fan of the monday hating lasagna eating orange cat Lewis played Garfield caught in the act on the Mega Drive last year. Yes, Lewis, Garfield is really cute. I had a weird moment throughout 2020 where I just decided that I was now really into Garfield. <laughs> and uh, whilst hunting down various Garfield video games, I discovered Garfield caught in the act from the Mega Drive, uh, which I was aware of previously, but never really got around to playing properly. And... Um, what a charming little game that is. I love me a platformer, and there's something about Western platformers in particular with their strangeness and over-animated over characters and things like that. I just, I really adore. And that game has character in spades, uh, really lovely, gorgeous graphics and animation, and Garfield is really cute, and I like Garfield. <laughs> Ryan is one of the lucky people that got an Astro City Mini last year. With it came the arcade oldie, Golden Axe, The Revenge of Death Adder, his retro Sega highlight of 2020. It's always been one of those elusive arcade exclusives, and I was so stoked to finally have a chance to play it on the Astro City Mini I imported. The game totally lived up to my expectations, with its gorgeous sprites in innovative scaling techniques, and general weirdness. Andy rediscovered Metropolis Street Racer last year, and it brought back some memories with the use of the Dreamcast's internal clock to affect the in-game time of day and the brilliant soundtrack. It was a game that I played on the Dreamcast, on my friend's Dreamcast, when they would allow me to, uh, you know, to borrow the console when they were away on uh, holiday, vacation. And, you know, I would play Sonic Adventure 2, Sonic Adventure, obviously. Uh, but there was the run, the one racing game that they had, which was Metropolis Street Racer. And the reason why I love it so much, like, you know, it's a very unique style of racing game, um, especially with how, you know, how it all works out. And, um, you know, with the uh, with the kudos points uh, in order to unlock certain cars, in order to unlock certain licenses, in order to progress through the game and in order to get, you know, the cars that you want after you unlock them, you've you've also got to, you know, beat their time trial in order to fully unlock the car, which is, you know, a really, really cool little thing to add um, when, you know, unlocking items uh, and licenses throughout the game. The main thing about it, though, um, well, one of the other things is uh, is like the having the time is like depending on what the time is for you, say in North America, Europe, Asia, you know, the time that you add on your Sega Dreamcast will affect the time in other parts of the world in the game. So say if it's daytime in Japan, it could be like, say, evening in San Francisco and, um, you know, and evening in San Francisco, afternoon in the UK and vice versa. You can and having the ability to change the time in the Sega Dreamcast so you can be able to see daytime in London 
daytime in San Francisco, nighttime in Tokyo. It just, it just, it's just awesome to see. But the main thing, the main thing about Metropolis Street, Metropolis Street Racer, what I really love about the game is the soundtrack. Just the absolute wonders that Richard Jakes and TJ Davis and a few of the other uh, musicians uh, as well that put into this soundtrack for the for the radio stations uh, in the game when you're in San Francisco, Tokyo, and London just works so well. And just the, the tracks, the music, absolute bangers. Every single song on that on the on the Metropolis Street Racer soundtrack is an absolute banger and is one of the games uh, that got me into loving and listening uh, to video game soundtracks and remixes. Without Metropolis Street Racer and without the Sega Dreamcast, yeah, I probably would still enjoy, um, you know, music, video game music, but I probably wouldn't have as much love for it, um, you know, as I have now, thanks to the Sega Dreamcast and Metropolis Street Racer. Cory Maru also imported an Astro City Mini, and he really enjoyed Dark Edge. The Sega game I enjoyed playing the most, which was not released in 2020, would have to be Dark Edge, an arcade fighting game developed by Sega AM3, which was Sega's first attempt in making a 3D fighter. It was re-released on the Sega Astro City Mini, and while not liked by many arcade players, I enjoyed it for what it was trying to be for its first time. I usually pick Thud and Jaeger, as they have some cool-looking charge-based movesets. Personally, I struggled a bit with this question. But as I said, I'm the host, so I'm cheating and not going with only one game. Instead, here are two that I played last year on my Twitch channel, which, by the way, is twitch.tv slash kc underscore radioman. Shameless plug. First up, 1994 Mega Drive game Soleil, also known as Crusader of Senti in North America. I played through this game on Radio Sega's Twitch channel, actually. <clears throat> twitch.tv slash radiosega. I had played Soleil before, many moons ago, but never actually finished the game, and it's got a couple of unique things going for it, like the story and its message, and the animals you can recruit, and whose abilities you can use in battle and to solve puzzles. Funnily enough, while Sega published the game in Japan and Europe, it was Atlas who published it in the US, and there's an Atlas easter egg in the game. Oh, and Sonic the Hedgehog is in there somewhere too. Another game I very much enjoyed was one I would never have thought I would like, 2014's Alien Isolation. I even bought a heart rate monitor that you can connect to your Twitch account so I could play while displaying my heart rate on stream. There was rage, some jump scares, and a lot of anxiety. Crazy times, but I ended up enjoying the game more than I would care to admit. Being a Sega fan means you can only play Sega games or you're not a true Sega fan, right? Right. No, no, I'm joking. You can and you should enjoy other games and broaden your scope by experiencing what other companies and indie devs are putting out for us all to play. Just have fun, people. So I asked my guests to pick, out of all non-Sega games they played in 2020, which was their game of the year and tell us why. As you'll hear, after gushing about Sega, they were more than happy to praise other non-Sega games that resonated with them this past year. The Saturn Junkyard's own Brian chose Hades as his personal game of 2020. I've heard a lot of good things about it, but haven't played it yet. Maybe I should, Brian? Yeah, let's go with that. It's either it's either Hades or the property management sim minigame from Yakuza. Those are my games of the year 2020. I guess I really should play Hades as the Switch version was also Ryan Grove's pick for a non-Sega game of the year. 
despite a ton of massive AAA games and powerful new consoles, the humor, style, and gameplay loop of Hades was definitely the highlight of 2020 gaming for me. The amazing Danny Russell is a fellow Animal Crossing New Horizons fan, and that's his pick for Game of the Year. Can you really blame him when so many of us spent so much time working on our islands during the first lockdown? I played the first, for the first, like, I don't know, couple of months it came out. I swear I must have been playing 12 hours a day or something like that. Something ridiculous like that. I, I just got a bit obsessive about it, like just uh, trying to make as uh, many bells as I could, uh, you know, completely redesigning the entire island, spending days moving characters around and things like that. I just really, I mean, to be honest, I overdid it because I burnt out. I, I got back into it a couple of times later in the year. Uh, when I was playing like multiplayer with friends, just as it's a nice way to catch up, you know, we're all stuck inside with COVID. Uh, and, uh, you know, I like I like a, a video chat or just a general chat, but uh, it's nice to kind of explore each other's islands and things like that and see how you've each customized things. Uh, at Sega, I remember in the early days uh, of the game coming out, we had some online events where we'd be invited to someone's island and we'd like have a, a trade like we'd, we'd dump all the items that we didn't want and we'd take the ones that we did want it's it's really nice I, I i do really enjoy any animal crossing like since the gamecube one first came out and i imported that because it took ages to come to europe but i i love these games i will get back into it but i, I almost think that maybe nintendo's gone a bit too servicey with it that it's uh there's too much going on and uh, it, it becomes too much to try and stay on top of all the different things that you've got to do. I know it's not like the old days where, you you know, people actually leave the village um, without you being able to stop them or anything like that. But uh, I don't know, it's, it's too much maintenance. I've got enough real life maintenance going on. With, but despite all that, I do love Animal Crossing and this is the best one yet. I just hope that they keep on adding stuff to it for years so that I can go back. Uh, and catch up and just uh, master the game in terms of getting absolutely everything that's available in it. God help me. You see, when you have a 7 in your nickname based off a specific game, and that game gets remade for modern systems and you love it, it's hard not to go with that as your game of the year. So Genesis 7 obviously had to go with Final Fantasy 7 Remake that came back out in March after a little bit of a delay. And the reason I enjoyed this game so much is one, I absolutely loved the Final Fantasy VII original on the PlayStation. I played it and completed it many, many times. Loved the story and the characters and the fact that I'm that big of a fan. I even have the Seven in my name, Genesis Seven, And I was highly hyped for the remake. I jumped off my seat when I seen that first trailer and then finally 2020 came around and I played this game and I absolutely loved it from the graphics to the music to the story and all the twists in between it was a fantastic game and if you haven't played it please guys give it a go despite the ending riku rose also picked the remake of final fantasy 7. i really hate the ending but final fantasy 7 is my favorite game ever and despite the ending i i was sitting there with a smile on my face loving about 30 hours of it it was probably just the last two that sort of dampened my thoughts but it can't take away from the fact that for 30 hours i just became a kid again don't you just love loopholes shenmue 3 originally released in late 2019 but on pc 
It did not release on Steam due to a, at the time, controversial, timed exclusivity deal with the Epic Games Store. So James Brown obviously picked Shenmue 3 on Steam as his game of 2020. Shenmue 3 is the incredibly long-awaited third title in the Shenmue saga, and finally takes Ryo out of the cave to get some sun back on his 18-year sun-ridden pasty skin. Now out of the cave, Ryo's mission is to figure out where on earth Shenfua's father is, as so many questions are left unanswered from the second game that we desperately wanted to find out. The game takes place in two locations, the first being where the second game sort of ended in Guilin, but this time we get to discover Bailu Village and all of its residents. The second location we visit is Niawu, which is a, a bustling port town full of arcades, minigames, gambling and fighting, etc. And this second location kind of feels very Hong Kong style from Shemu 2, and, and overall I feel that Shemu 3 does do a, a great job of continuing the series and, and really gives you that original Shemu look and feel that we've, we've all come to love. Matt Oliver had a bit of a hard time choosing only one game out of all the amazing titles that came out last year, but had to go with Spider-Man Miles Morales. Having loved the original Spider-Man game on, on the PlayStation 4, Miles Morales just took that game to another level in terms of its storytelling, in terms of the new mechanics it introduced, and also in terms of its length, actually. It was a while shorter experience. It was one that really sort of encapsulated you all the way through, didn't let up, and was a superb game all around. Because of the narrative and the emotional roller coaster of a journey that it was for him, Andrew Dickinson picked the award winning The Last of Us Part 2. That's because of the incredible story it told, um, where it went emotionally as a game. I mean, that was just incredible. Uh, I haven't had a game affect me emotionally that much for a while. Um, and the range of emotions and the fact that everything was so grey and not clear cut, as a lot of games generally are, that was fantastic to see. And it was just an all around brilliant game that took me on a journey I just didn't expect to go on. And I loved pretty much every single second of it. And I'm definitely wanting to go back and play it again. It's about time we get to Tom Campbell's pick. And it's about time people stop doing the most obvious joke with the title of Tom's Game of the Year, Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time. A lot of people get frustrated with the sheer amount of gems and crystals to collect and the frustrating level of difficulty to get some of them. But you know what? I love throwing myself into that, mainly on a Sunday afternoon, losing myself in that. Just again, as a nostalgic kid, it's a reflection of the old days on the PlayStation, but giving something a little bit new in there as well. What do you get when you mix together Shinobi, Ninja Gaiden and Ninja Cop? Texter's game of 2020, The Messenger. It's a game that came out on the Switch and across all the platforms as well. Um, imagine Shinobi, Ninja Gaiden and that get cool Game Boy Advance game, Ninja Cop all rolled into one. Um, it's, a, it's a really good hack and slash game where you climb, you can climb, um, you know, walls and hang uh, and swing and do all those kind of things. And the really cool thing about this game is that it starts off in 8-bit graphics and throughout the game, it switches to 16-bit graphics as well. So uh, really cool game, crazy music, Really crazy end of level bosses and, and and a lot of fun. I stuck that one through and completed that one too. 
Uh, I don't usually finish a lot of games, but 2020 was the year that Taxter knocked a few off the list. Refsig went with a rather different pick for his game of the year, Fall Guys. I never thought that I would be spending hours per day playing with friends that I had not talked to for a long time, trying to, to, to beat everyone, 56 random people around the world at uh, running around and trying to race them or eliminating them, making them fall into the slime. And with such a wide variety, which keeps things interesting. Actually, I think that the variety in the in the minigames is exactly what I love the most about Fall Guys and why it is proof that simplicity goes a long way if it is brilliantly executed. Fall Guys and Phasmophobia pulled Andy in and were his picks for non-Sega games of the year. Full guys, because I love the style of like, you know, it's like the Te Takeshi's Castle-esque game show feel to it, um, you know, and, you know, it's a battle royale. It's a unique battle royale, so to say, um, that, you know, we haven't seen at all because most battle royales are always like the, you know, <laughs> shoot 'em ups and all that. So to have something that was like totally not a shoot 'em up and just something unique and fun um, and because it had like that game show uh, Takeshi's Castle-esque feel to it um pulled me in and it's still very fun uh it took me like i think five months august through to this month january um to finally get a crown so i've only got one crown but i'm happy i finally got a crown i'm happy with my life that's the main thing so i had to go with full guys all phasmophobia phasmophobia because you know it's a it's a co-op online uh ghost investigation game Scary at first, but after you play it a little bit, you start to get more like, you know, less scared and more antagonizing the ghost, which is a lot of fun, especially when you're with the right people. Um, so, yeah, definitely those two, I would have to say. They're bringing in new content for this year. Um, so it'll be interested to see like what fresh new ideas will be coming out for both Fall Guys and Phasmophobia. So if I had to choose, you know, if I had to pick out of both of them, I would have to say Fall Guys. But if, you know, uh, if, I could, if I couldn't pick both Fall Guys and Phasmophobia for sure. Graham Cookson had to go with two games, Immortals Phoenix Rising, which he enjoyed even more than The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, and Ori and the Will of the Wisps, a beautiful game by Austrian devs Moon Studios. If you haven't heard of it, this game has been compared a lot with Zelda Breath of the Wild, uh, but honestly, I'm enjoying it more than I did Breath of the Wild. There are a lot of similarities, but also some differences. So Breath of the Wild really dials up some of the environmental realism to really impressive levels. You can't fault it. But Immortals draws players in more with a story-driven campaign. So it has more cutscenes and more interaction with the gods that you're helping out. And it just really drives you forward and really makes you want to keep playing. And just like Breath of the Wild, Immortals Rise of Phoenix makes the world really fun to explore. It's really big, really expansive, and very different all throughout. And it's just fun to go around to see where things are, find hidden things, especially when you come across some of the legendary monsters to fight. It's really awesome. Also, the narration of the game between Zeus and Prometheus is hilarious at times. It's really funny, which is really hard to do in games. And it just makes the game so much fun. So give it a try. Check it out. If you're a big fan of Zelda Breath of the Wild, you'll probably enjoy it. If you weren't a big fan of Breath of the Wild, try it out anyway, because you actually might find this game a little bit more fun. The other game I would choose is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. I love the original Ori and Blind Forest, and Will of the Wisps brings all that back and more. The visuals are still gorgeous, 
The music is almost heartbreakingly beautiful at times, and the way the story is told, it's done so well, and it draws the players into the emotions of both Ori and the extra characters in the game. I, I absolutely love it. It's probably one of my favourite franchises in recent times. As for the Sega guys, Dan is a fellow Ori and the Will of the Wisps fan, and he sees some Sega in it. As for James, he's a cheater and went with Gears of War 5 because it was patched for new-gen systems. What a loophole. But there is something very Sega about it. The way that Ori moves, uh, the way that the levels open up, but Ori moves with such speed. Uh, there's so much momentum, uh, so much verticality in the way that it plays. I just absolutely fell in love with it straight away. There is something very, very sort of sega about the way that Ori moves, I think. Not too dissimilar to a certain hedgehog, I would say. Especially, with, <laughs> you know, if you squint a little bit, he has a similar sort of hue. He, he somersaults as he jumps. But just an absolutely magical, magical game. Beautiful game. Um, played it through non-stop when I got it. Saw it all the way through to the end. And called on it for a little bit. I did go back to, to unlock the rest of the map. But uh, I'm saving myself now for when I finally get a next-generation Xbox system so I can play the enhanced version at 120 frames per second. So, yeah, Ori and the Will of the Wisp was my game of the year. And I'm going for Gears of War 5 or Gears 5. Um, I think just to see that game running um, at full pelt, at full frame rate, no stutters, um, just in the enhanced textures, everything about it, and then you add in the Hive Busters DLC that came out recently, which is another step above, um, a real showpiece for what the Coalition are going to be doing with the, the next generation hardware. I mean, even on a non-4K TV, I've got the Series S hooked up to a 1080p and there was times I was looking at it and the sharpness and the level of detail and the draw distance and the texture quality, the frame rate, everything about it is just absolutely stunning. Um, and it's, it's nice to see that we've finally appeared to be moving away from the, the 30 FPS days. Although in saying that, we'll play lots of 30 FPS games on retro, so they're not crap. But um, I think given the kind of the limits of last gen um, and the way it was a kind of halfway house between the generation before and PC technology and it was a kind of bit of a mismatch I think we're now getting to see console games come up to that kind of standard of, of PC gaming so yeah for me um, you know Gears 5 multiplayer 120 FPS and things like that crazy crazy numbers um, so yeah that was again a wee caveat in there um, kind of cheating because it, it came out in 2019 but it did get an update and a, a bit of DLC in 2020 so well time for my picks and I too am cheating once more Streets of Rage 4 and Yakuza Like a Dragon are up there with the best that I've played last year but since I've talked about them already let me mention two other games I've spent a lot of time with Animal Crossing New Horizons was THE game of the first lockdown. Like Danny, I stopped playing the game after a few months, but the time I spent on my island was truly an amazing experience, and I totally plan on visiting my overlooked neighbors at some point, especially since there's still seasonal content being added to the game on a regular basis. The second game I loved was Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Well, to be honest, both Ori games. I bought an Xbox One X that was on sale last summer, and finally experienced this series of two amazing games. Emotional, challenging but very rewarding, and satisfying. And so, so beautiful in the graphics, story, and music departments. Finally, I wanted to talk about what 2020 meant to us Sega fans as a whole. Loving Sega doesn't have to mean enjoying only the games. 
at the Sega Lounge were all about celebrating different facets of the company, including its community of fans. So I asked our guests to share specific things that happened in 2020, which made them appreciate Sega or the community even more than before. Sega's retro guru, Danny Russell, highlighted a more personal event, his new job focused on retro Sega. So for me, I guess this is pretty personal uh, in terms of it's to do with my job. Uh, I, I was on the mobile team before the mobile team got absorbed into Sega of America. And that's been really interesting for me. Uh, I, like I was working on Sega Heroes at the beginning of the year. And like Demiurge, the the passion that they put into that game, you could really see it. It's like the attention to detail, like the characters really shone through even more so than some of them have in their original games, like the Choo Choo Rocket characters and things like that. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a shame for that uh, to have gone under. But now I'm on a Sega of America brand team. You know, uh, we're, we're working on some really interesting projects that will be coming out in future years uh, and later this year as well. Uh, and I'm just so excited. Like, this is honestly my dream job. Like, I, I mean, every job I've had at Sega so far has been like my, my dream job, but this is really, it's like, um, it's, there's going to be lots of fun to come in the, in the coming years. Uh, also just Sega's 60th celebrations, even though things changed, as I'm sure you, you can guess, uh, because of COVID, uh, we still made the most of it. There was a lot of really fun stuff happening online and happening out of Sega of Japan as well. Uh, lots of interesting things to import if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I had a blast this year and it's, it's, things are only going to get better. Uh, I look forward to the future of Sega. Sega's ability to adapt and adjust in 2020 increased Jen's appreciation for the company last year. One thing that I appreciated about Sega in 2020 was their ability to adapt and adjust. I mentioned this in one of my YouTube videos, a quick plug there if you want to check it out. I did a nice retrospective on Sega in 2020. But one of the things that I really appreciated about this was, again, the ability to adapt and adjust to the current conditions of the world during this pandemic and the fact that they strived and they accomplished bringing the community together with all of their community streams the go sega 60th anniversary celebration and everything in between these guys smashed it they gave you some great content playing both old and new sega games keeping you thoroughly entertained through the year and i really appreciate that as disappointing as it was to see lots of events cancelled Corey Maru still appreciated Sega's support of online events, especially the ones created by fans. I still enjoyed 2020 as a Sega fan, from supporting fan events like Sonic Revolution and Chaos Creators, to streaming towards charity of Yakuza games for COVID-19 relief and enjoying Sega's virtual events for its 60th anniversary. It was tons of fun, and I would totally love to do more stuff like these in 2021. A follower of the homebrew and indie scene, Graham was delighted to see indie devs are still putting out content for Sega consoles, especially the Dreamcast. I love how indie developers are still putting time and effort into creating games for old Sega consoles, especially the Dreamcast. I love the Dreamcast, it's probably still my favourite console. So it's incredible to think that after almost 20 years since Sega discontinued the system, that in 2020 we saw a brand new 3D racing game with arcade racing legends. Now, I did review the game for Mega Visions, and I won't say it's perfect. It has a lot of flaws, but it was still a really fun game, and more importantly, an incredible achievement to see. I really can't wait to see what 2021 brings for Dreamcast. It's really exciting, so looking forward to that. 
James Brown considered Sega's 2020 a great year, taking into account the 60th anniversary celebrations and the Astro City Mini. And he has an idea of what the company could do to celebrate Sonic's 30th anniversary this year. 2020, the 60th anniversary of Sega, the promises made and fulfilled. I just love the fact that Sega are embracing classic IP again. We we not only had the Game Gear Micros in 2020 to celebrate Sega's 60th anniversary, we also had the ultimate mini console so far with the Astro City Mini. Sega really kicked it out of the park with this mini console, with an incredible full-sized arcade stick to boot, and an excellent library of games. The console is multi-language too, so even though you know it's only obtainable in Japan, it's perfectly playable worldwide, and uh, I feel like Sega are actually starting to understand their fans and history and are really starting to bridge that gap between the divide in company, be it Europe, America or Japan. As a, as a fan seeing things unfold, it, it really feels like we're one big happy family now, and I hope that 2021 will be as memorable a year for Sega, and with Sonic's 30th anniversary this year, I see big things ahead. Sonic Adventure 3, perhaps? <laughs> I mean, the three in the title is already an easy way to tease, I think. So here's my idea for the reveal. The Sonic 30 logo. Sonic jumps up and grabs the zero in the 30, like a ring. I think it's actually already a ring. Leaving just the three. And then Sonic Adventure title fades in next to it. There's a freebie for you, Sega. As a recent co-owner of the biggest Shenmue resource on the internet... Of course, Matt Oliver had to go with taking over the Shenmue Dojo. While there's been many, of course, I think my favourite is actually taking on the Shenmue Dojo with, with James Brown. Um, it's something I never imagined happening. It's never something that I'd have done before. But the opportunity presented itself and we, we both thought, you know, you know what, why not? Let's let's give this a go and let's see what can happen. And actually, it's opened so many doors for me. Um, sort of on a personal level, I've interviewed and people involved in the Shenmue franchise. I've interviewed people across the wider Sega community. And on a personal level, I think I've been introduced to so many wonderful people through this that that has to be my favourite memory, taking over the Shenmue Dojo in 2020. Author extraordinaire Andrew Dickinson highlighted releasing his Dreamcast Year One book as a moment that made him appreciate both Sega and the community more in 2020 just appreciating the dreamcast and the work that sega put into that console you know having to having written that book and gone through what it took to bring the dreamcast to market it definitely made me appreciate sega as a company and you know although ultimately it didn't go as planned and there are a lot of things that sega did wrong in particular um you know that meant that dreamcast just never got to live its full life the fact that it still exists and it has some of the most amazing games I've ever played. Um, yeah, writing that book and looking into that history uh, definitely made me appreciate Sega and the community because I've um, come to know a lot of people in the community much better thanks to the book, like the Dreamcast Junkyard guys and, of course, the people at Radio Sega. So, yeah, very thankful for releasing that and uh, glad that it's brought me into the fold of... Say the Sega community, I guess, uh, and looking forward to where I get to go in 2021 with Dreamcast Year 2, uh, being part of Radio Sega and, of course, still being part of the Dreamcast Junkyard and Dreamcast Years as well. Very excited. Sonic the Hedgehog. Hero. 
Blue Hedgehog, beacon of hope and joy during a pandemic. At least that's how Tom Campbell saw the blue blur in 2020. I think Sonic the Hedgehog was something from Sega that, that made me glad of Sega, if you see what I mean. I started using Twitch last year as, again, something to do. And I decided it'd be great just to play some of the old Sonic games. And I played Sonic, I played them all in order. And then I started going off the beaten track, uh, playing some of the Master System ones, some of the awful Game Gear ones that we won't speak of, uh, some of the awful next-gen ones that we won't speak of. But just that rich back catalogue of stuff from Sega for me to, to, to sit and play and fall in love with or, or rage quit all over again. I think it helped me get through 2020. I think having that time to sit and play those classic games that Sonic Team had brought us in particular, genuinely think it helped me get through 2020. So thanks for that, Sega. It means a lot. Outrun Mega Fan Texter is an awesome dude and said a highlight of 2020 was being on the Sega Lounge and having a chat with me. Oh, right back at you, my friend. He also pointed out Sega's amazing 60th anniversary campaign and praised one of our other guests, Danny Russell. Uh, it was great to catch up and have a good chinwag uh, and talk games. So um, there's that. I would also uh, say the, the the Go Sega or the Sega 60th, um, you know, how, all of that promotion that went on with Sega hitting 60. I thought that was really cool. There was a lot of great merchandise and things that Sega did uh, to celebrate that uh, to celebrate 2020. And I picked up a few little things myself, a few little coins and um, key rings that have uh, that have Sega Saturn sounds coming from them, and you know pin badges and things like that. But I thought that was a really cool event uh, that Sega did there. Really, really. Um, Showed off the whole Sega brand. And uh, I think also uh, Danny Russell, who's the kind of retro community manager for Sega uh, across USA and Europe. I think he's a really, really nice guy. And he gets he gets a lot of people, um, you know, talking about different things about Sega. I think he's really good, really good for the community. Rafseek was heavily involved with Sega of Europe online happenings last year. The thing that stood out for him the most, though, was Sega of Europe's more recent approach to community management. 2020 was a very eventful year in all aspects. And uh, actually, when it comes to Sega and uh, even my personal uh, story with, with Sega, that, that still applies. Things like participating in Sega's official streams to the point that the Radio Sega account became a moderator in the channel or participating in the Sega Forever Discord server, also to the point of becoming a junior moderator there. Still, the most relevant part is definitely how it feels that the Western branches, most specifically people in uh, Sega of Europe, have been trying to reach out to the community and they've gotten something really good going. There is a very good vibe... Uh, with their new approach and it is very refreshing to see a company that big doing something like that. It is more than welcome and everyone involved is doing an amazing job. Regarding the, um, the events, there is also the uh, 60th uh, anniversary celebrations which have been something to behold. It's impressive how they 
they were so creative in order to think of so many things to do that have been involving the fans. Dan's own top 50 Saturn games he shared on Twitter were a highlight for him. You can find him at super underscore D, by the way. But both Dan and James agree their main highlight of the year was to start Sega Guys. The first one I'll go with is just, I loved doing my top 50 Saturn games on Twitter this year. Not just because I enjoy sharing them and trying to raise awareness for a console that I feel is overlooked a lot, but because I was playing those games from beginning to end a lot. And I just fell in love with them all over again and trying to share the love of those games. I just managed to rediscover everything that I loved about them. And far from it being a chore, it was one of the most enjoyable things I've done. But of course, the ultimate highlight really has to be beginning the Sega Guys with you, James, um, because that really has taken off on something that started from a from a small exchange on, on Twitter, uh, <laughs> sharing our mutual love for our favorites games company and sharing it via podcast and never thought that this would happen. Um, but it's been, uh, so much fun and I've really loved the response to it. So that those would be my highlights for 2020. How about yourself? Yeah. Just to kind of echo that mate. Um, I mean, April 26th, 2020, we, we put the first, the first episode of the Sega guys out there. Um, as you say, it all came from an exchange, just, a chance glance of a of a tweet that someone retweeted on my timeline and kind of reached out and we we originally agreed to to do it as a a blog and then we you know made it into a podcast and then it's it's been crazy to see how it's been taken off we're, we're fast approaching 2000 uh, unique streams we've been on uh, the Sega lounge we've been on Winterfest through through Radio Sega and um, we've got big guests coming up um that we can't wait for for the listeners to to hear us chat with and it's yeah it's just it's it's kind of it's kind of strange that um you only meet someone through you know words on a screen but you and i have got this incredible rapport doing this you know it's uh, i genuinely feel as if i've been talking to you for years uh, and i think that's kind of part of the success of the podcast as well so um you know there's, there's been just an outpouring of support towards us um, for something that we just thought we would do, you know, to pass some time, to put some thoughts out there. And it's been pretty crazy to see see the reaction to it. So, yeah, I mean, thanks to KC because he's always reaching out to us to, to take part. Um, the Radio Sega guys are always involving us. So that's, that's absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, just thank you very, very much for all the, the support. Not at all. Thank you, guys. Lewis's answer really resonated with me. I was a bit more involved with fan events like Sage and the Hacking Contest last year, so the fact that Sega let the fans do their thing is amazing. I think in 2020 more than any, I still very much appreciate that Sega are so keen to let the fans do their thing and create lots of wonderful music and video and fan art and in particular fan games because um, there was like three events last year that I absolutely adored. There was obviously the Sonic Amateur Games Expo, um, the Sonic Hacking Contest, and also the Nintendo Community Fan Games Convention, um, which also had some Sonic stuff in it. Um, and it was just a great time playing all those games and the things that people created. And I really enjoyed covering them for the Sega Driven YouTube channel. And um, yeah, it was just lovely that these things continue to be allowed by Sega and continue to thrive 
Um, I mean, one of the fan games from Sage this year was a full-blown modern Sonic 3D game made by a team of bedroom coders, and it was a complete game. Sonic GT is just a fascinating thing. I love that it exists, and I think it's incredible that it's allowed to exist, and it wasn't, you know, copyright striked or, like, wiped from the internet or DMCA'd or whatever they call it. Um, yeah, Sega have been so enormously supportive of their fan community, and long may that continue, because it gives us events like this and games like that. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Sega. Andy hosts the annual Race for Good for Charity with Pete Titan's Creed, and something happened during last year's event that made it extra special. Uh, we do a char charity event for Special Effect, who help make modified controllers and other wonderful pieces of tech for children and adults with disabilities. And we played through Sonic games. We play, we raced through a lot of Sonic games over the course of three days. Um, on the third and final day, we didn't realize that Sega came to both mine and Pete's chat. Uh, it was Sega Europe, and it just took us by surprise. They gave us a follow. They, you know, just they noticed what we were doing, and just said how like, you know, proud and incredibly happy that you know, of us for doing what we were doing and helping raise money for a good cause. Gave Pete a host, um, which was absolutely insane. So it made me appreciate Sega as a company more because it's like you see them, you know, they are part, they want to be and are part of the community that they have. And to be able to help out, be a part of that community, help out people in, in the Sega community that are, help, that are trying to raise money for you know, some really, really amazing causes. It's just fantastic to see and has, you know, made me feel, made me love Sega. I, I love Sega a lot, but they, after what happened last year, made me love Sega a whole lot more. And I appreciate what they do as a company with the games that they've made. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Sega pulls out in 2021. While I agree with most, if not all of the events mentioned by my guests so far, my personal best moment the one that made me enjoy both Sega and the Sega community even more was bringing back the Sega Lounge as a podcast. Getting back in the game of talking to amazing people and getting to know some very talented and passionate members of this community was a true blessing last year and something that helped me maintain some level of sanity throughout all that happened. And seeing that the podcast resonated with a lot of you out there listening made it easier to cope with all the bad things going on. Streaming on Twitch is also a highlight for me as it allowed me to know a lot of amazing people and many of them also big SEGA fans. So I've actually had lots more to be thankful for last year than to complain. Riku Rose, however, had it rougher than me. He suffered a personal loss recently. And for most, if not all of us, video games are a welcome helping hand when tragedy strikes and that was the case with the Yakuza Lake Dragon for the owner of the Tojo Dojo. Here is his heartfelt story. Uh, unfortunately, my brother passed away from cancer in October. And I went back to England from America for his funeral. And when I came back, it was back to life as normal, as is the way, unfortunately. And to stop the feelings of just sitting around and being a bit down, luckily I had Yakuza like a dragon there, which doesn't take life too seriously. It can poke fun at itself. It can be a bit silly. And it was just nice to have something there where I could turn it on for be it half an hour, an hour, six hours, 
And I knew in that time frame I was going to laugh and have a great time. And you can be as silly as helping an old lady cross the street by helping her eat chili or helping a circus performer get his bear that got loose back into a cage. You just know that going into it, it's going to be ridiculous and fun. And what's not to love about that? And that's it for our look back into the year of 2020 from the point of view of not just one, but several Sega fans. I tried to not only get a good number of people involved with this episode, but to invite friends who I knew would offer a variety of opinions and spice up the conversation. I'm sure many of you have different takes on the best games and best moments of 2020, so do feel free to reach out on Twitter or Facebook if you feel like sharing your thoughts. We're at twitter.com slash thesegalounge and facebook.com slash thesegalounge. Let me thank my amazing guests for their time and their testimonies. And I'd also like to thank the few of them who weren't able to take part in this but also contributed in one way or another to this show. The Sega Lounge is going back to its roots next week as I start welcoming new guests to the show. I'm very excited for our next episode as I'll be chatting with Becky Frost and Mark Seville from Special Effect, a charity dedicated to helping people with disabilities to play video games. They do an amazing job and I'm really happy to have had the chance to talk to them about it. We'll also discuss Game Blast 2021, an annual event I will be taking part on during the weekend of February 26th to 28th as part of Team Radio Sega. I'll share more details next week, but feel free to follow me on social media for real-time updates. As usual, if you're new around here, subscribe to the show on your podcaster of choice, and if you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, as that helps us very much. I hope you all have an amazing week. Persona 5 Strikers is coming out in the next few days, so if that's your cup of tea and you're planning on getting it, enjoy! But above all else, stay safe. I'll see you all next week. Bye-bye! The Sega Lounge Hosted by me, KC, and part of Radio Sega's network of live shows and podcasts. Theme song and incidental music by OSC. Find them at opusciencecollective.bandcamp.com. Got any suggestions? Drop me an email to podcast at thesegalounge.com. Follow us on Twitter at thesegalounge and like us at facebook.com slash thesegalounge. You can find previous episodes of the show by going to thesegalounge.com and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. A Mixed On Productions podcast.